Hello, and welcome to episode 160 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Benay E, Nicole M, Steve B, Anthony R, Adam D, Jacqueline H, Micah M, Michael A, Heidi V, Sabra R, Raj C, and Becky S to the Modern Manager community. If you haven't yet checked out the benefits of becoming a member, head on over to themodernmanager.com slash join to learn more. Memberships start at $5 a month and include multiple forms of support to help you apply what you're learning in the show and unleash your managerial greatness. Now, today's guest is Andrew Bartlow. Andrew is the founder and managing partner at Series B Consulting and has 25 years of human resources and talent management experience at organizations across a wide spectrum of sizes, maturity stages, and industries. He is the co-author of Scaling for Success, People Priorities for High-Growth Organizations, has a master's degree from the top program in his field, and has a whole bunch of certifications. Andrew and I talk about how to develop a people strategy how to prioritize the most important work and focus your team's structure and roles on doing that work so you're investing in the right people, doing the right activities at the right time in your organization's life cycle. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Andrew. It is really a pleasure to talk with you. And I want to get into it right away and start with this idea of a people strategy, because it's not something I've ever thought about before. And I know that we it's very familiar to think about product strategies or business strategies, but what is this idea of a people strategy? Oh, boy, great, great question. It's based in management. How are you managing and leading your team? It can include communications. It can include performance management. You know, ultimately, it's about what's important within your organization that relates to your people. So what sort of culture are you trying to develop? How will you ultimately function? So the best way that I can talk about a a people plan is by uh, imagining a waterfall or a, a pyramid. At the skinny top is the business goal. And as you flow down from the business goal, what are those people activities or initiatives that might flow from it? So any sort of people plan is rooted in what's most important to the business. And then everything that you're doing in the HR function and managing your team and communicating with your team is tied back to accomplishing that goal. And it seems simple, but very few organizations do it. Well, why is it that so few organizations do it if it's not that complicated or if it just makes so much sense? Do you have a, like a, a reason why we tend to avoid or, or underestimate the importance of people strategies? Well, it depends what type of organization we're talking about. I do a lot of work with, with high growth startups as well as on the other end of the spectrum with very large organizations. With the high growth startups, you find that things are moving so quickly and changing so dramatically that the founders and CEOs and senior leaders of those teams are often anxious about clearly articulating, documenting what their top-level goals are. There's often a a bit of fear that they may miss those goals and their whole whole team will leave or their investors will be disappointed and they can't raise a new round. And so I've often seen a, a movement from total chaos, 
you know, really just trying to do everything all at once to tightening the bolts dramatically and trying to manage at an individual level what every single person is working on, missing that critical clarity that comes with what is the organization trying to accomplish over the near future. So with small orgs, there's this reticence to, strangely enough, set the business priorities. Everything becomes a priority. So that, that's the small org. Uh, and, and that's why they you know, often don't set up that waterfall. At the large organizations, more mature, really clear what they're trying to accomplish, publicly traded, investors, maturity, things often get bogged down in the bureaucracy and the administrivia. And the people plan is rarely thought of holistically. You'll have your departments and your functions and everybody wears their hat of the engineering team or the marketing team or whatever. And often the people leader or the CEO isn't looking at that sort of holistic element of the people plan and tying it all together. And so, you know, two different reasons, but same result in that, you know, your people are not as aligned or as informed or as productive as they could be if everything flowed from that waterfall. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking about being in the position of a manager who's like, I need more people on my team. And feels like something that is so often just left to the hands of the people who are doing the hiring and not something that is part of a bigger conversation or a holistic look. So I'm wondering for people who are managing a team and like, I just need more bodies, I need more people, I need more hands on deck, I need more brains in these conversations. How do they think about a people strategy in their own domain? Like, does it have to come from the top and be organization-wide? Or can we also have people strategies that live at the team level? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't count on your leaders to do it for you. It's wonderful if they do, but you can get a lot more traction if you're the manager of a team or a division or of a group. If you're thinking about, you know, something as simple as supply and demand. So if you're talking about hiring more people, that's supply, but really it should start with demand. So what are the, what are the projects? What are the priorities that you're trying to accomplish within your team? And keep in mind that you're going to be a lot more effective at accomplishing those projects and priorities if you truly prioritize. You can move three things a mile, but you're more likely to move 30 things each an inch. So start with what are your core priorities for the you know, short and medium term, and then align your team around that. And frankly, in, in large organizations as well as small organizations, you're a lot more likely to get the budget support, to get the headcount that you need to accomplish a very clear and coherent list of business objectives rather than just asking for more heads. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm thinking about an experience I had with my own business a number of years ago where we were restructuring how we were working and we like sat down in this brainstorm of all the things that we were doing and all the tasks that had to get done every day and everything that had to get done every week and then tried to figure out like how do we create the right roles with the right sets of responsibilities and the right relationships to the other colleagues so that we had a structure that made sense because we had kind of grown organically and suddenly it was like, why is this person doing this thing? And why is that person doing that? And, it, and it, it felt like we were not in a place that had any coherence or that at least made logical sense given where we were at in that moment in time. I'm guessing that's not an uncommon experience that you've come across in the past. 
Yeah, not at all. Lots of organizations have a annual planning process with budgets and headcount and you know, organizations that are changing more rapidly or go through a merger or acquisition or what have you will often revisit it whenever there's an important change point. And that's a great time to take a look at your structure, at your list of activities, at what's really important, and try to ruthlessly prioritize. If you have 30 things on that list that need to be accomplished, chances are your efforts are really being diffused and are less likely to be effective than if you're being really clear about what's most important. And I've, I've seen a number of organizations, large and small, you know, struggle with that, where, where everything's important, but that means that nothing gets done. So what are some of the steps that you would recommend that managers take if they're trying to figure out how do they do that ruthless prioritization and get clarity on the most important things? And then kind of part two is how do you let go of the things that you don't want to do or that you that haven't made that you know top three list? Because that's a whole process of itself is just getting to the place where you can say no to those things, especially if they're things that you have colleagues who've been you know, working hard at or your boss above you is telling you it's still important. Sorry, I asked you a two-part yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least two parts there. There's potentially a lot to peel back there. So start today by writing down what are the three things that are most important for your team, your group, your division, your, your company, wh- wherever you're making decisions. What are the three most important things? That shouldn't be 30. That doesn't mean that other things don't also need to get done. There's an acronym that I forget where I picked it up. It's KBTR, keep the business running, or KTBR, keep the business running. And those are things that need to happen, like payroll, people need to get paid, hiring, people need to get hired, reporting to you know tax agencies and other, other issues. Like stuff will continue to happen. But if you're thinking about projects and initiatives that need to occur that will drive your business forward, what are the three things that are most important? Again, not just taking your your team or functional view, but aligning it with the bigger group that you're supporting. So write those three things down and everything can flow from that. And it's as simple as that. And then everything gets easier if you circulate those three things. If you talk with your key stakeholders, talk with your boss, talk with your peers, talk with your investors if, uh, if you're running an organization and see if they agree and see if they would have a different list. And see if they would add 28, <laughs> 28 new things to the list. And, and that allows you to get aligned, get clarity, get resources so that nobody's guessing who's working on what and what's important when. So, you know, it, it starts with committing that short list to paper or email or, or a PowerPoint slide. And then again, everything else gets a little bit easier. I also really like the framework that Patrick Lencioni talks about, the author of Five Dysfunctions of a Team and The Advantage and so many other great business books. And you know, he, he has a very simple model called the six questions for clarity. And, that, and that's a great process to walk through. It can be very simple. You don't need an outside facilitator to do it, it even though I've helped a number of companies with that. You know, it's simple questions like, what's most important right now? what do we do? Who will do what? You know, some of those simple questions can be hard to answer, or you might be really surprised at the lack of alignment within your team and your key stakeholders. So finding that clarity will make everything easier at companies large and small. So once you have this list and 
you have a sense of clarity and you have a sense of ownership of like, these are the right things for us to do. And you start sharing that out. And now you have to deal with, as you said, the colleagues who are like, oh, what about these other five priorities? Or what if it, you know, what do you do when either not everyone agrees or the natural evolution of prioritizing these things means that some people's jobs are going to change and some people's work that they are, that's their baby is no longer going to be invested in. Perfect. Great. Good. You know, that's where the magic happens, right? When there's, when there's lack of alignment or when there's change. So let's say you circulate your, your list of three things and there are, you know, a number of projects that tie to those three things and somebody wants to add something happens all the time. Uh, That gives you a place to start negotiating from or to re-clarify. So, okay, you'd like me to add a new thing. What should I drop off of my current list? You know, I'm resourced to deliver these three things. I can either add resources and deliver the fourth, take longer to do the other existing things, or drop one off. And hey, help me figure out what approach to take. And that's that's a much better conversation than saying no. That that new thing could be critically important. So you know, don't get overly stuck on your three and it has to be that three and it's your way or the highway. You know, many organizations you need to be flexible, but it gives you a place by which to start reprioritizing and negotiating for time and for resources. And it's just a, a better, easier, healthier conversation with whoever's trying to help you reprioritize. I'm wondering if you've worked with clients who've gone through that and kind of can share a little bit more about like what does that actually look like for a company to do that type of ruthless prioritization and to have those conversations to get down to what's really important and stay focused. Yeah, well, I've I've done this with a number of clients. One was a uh, you know, really well-known tech company, uh, Series D at the moment, business to consumer. Won't mention their name, but we were working on setting company-wide goals, and uh, we had a management offsite. We went to you know some some great house in Los Angeles, and we had a bunch of sticky notes, and we asked the group. What are the three most important things that the company should be focused on right now? We asked people to write it on sticky notes and and group them. And you know that that was a consensus building, you know, sort of bottom up from within the leadership team approach to see where people's heads were at. You know, you can do that from the from the bottom up and we did the sticky notes and you know we let people use more than 3 and we we saw where the clusters were and then we drove to consensus uh, within the leadership team. Another way to approach it that I worked on with a with a different client was the CEO had a very clear mandate from the board and knew what the company needed to do. And that was more of a top-down approach. And so that CEO shared with the group what the answer was and then answered questions and you know, dealt with any issues or concerns that the group had. And uh, you know, that's that's a top-down approach. So either one can work. You don't necessarily need to crowdsource it from within your leadership team, but the the critical component that happened with both of those was after the most important things were determined, communication to the rest of the organization happened. So emails, all hands, town halls, reminders, ties to performance management. You know, so make sure that people understand how it all ties together. In both cases, that was a multi step approach with lots of uh, reminders and ensuring that people 
you know, again, knew what was what was expected. Well, and that communication part is so important, right? Like, and then the reinforcement, right? As you're saying, like the multiple reminders and emails and bringing it back up and over again and building it into your performance review system because if people aren't being measured against the right things, then they're going to work on the wrong things. So I want to tie this back to people strategy or kind of structuring and, and hiring and, and building out the right type of team for the work that you want to get done that you've now prioritized. And I'm wondering that, you know, as you've got these priorities, to the extent that it now impacts or changes the way that you want to do your work or the things that you're working on or the skills and the activities that are needed. I'm just imagining like being a manager and like, okay, I got these three priorities now. And like, what do I do with the people on my team and matching the the people with these priorities? Do you have any thoughts about how yeah. to do that well? Yeah. Well, it's it's a messy process, right? You you start with that clarity of what's most important to your company or your team or your group. And then you figure out, you know, so that's the demand. You know, what what are the needs? Uh, what are the goals that we're trying to achieve? And then you look at the supply. And you figure out, do I have the right resources, the right people with skills and talents and availability? Do I need to look to the outside with vendors? You know, sometimes you know, it, internal employees are not the best way to solve for something. You can find a vendor or a contractor or another type of resource. So you know, that's, that's where the manager or the team leader really needs to be thoughtful and apply their critical thinking and good business judgment. And I'm a big fan of adult conversations. So if you don't have the right skills and abilities or resources, you talk to people about that. And if that means that somebody's job changes or that you know something that was done internally gets outsourced or you know just something changes, you talk with people about it and you have adult conversations and you treat people really well, but you strive for transparency and generosity along the way. And that builds a lot of trust and it builds a lot of credibility. That makes so much sense. Like just talk to people and not try to overcomplicate it or solve for everything. Just have a real conversation. Yeah. I'm curious about the role of professional development here. And if you have thoughts on whether organizations should run professional development programming for their team members or if this is like an individualized program, like, you know, as you're thinking about your your people and your team and having the right structure, having the right people in the right roles, to what extent is it, is investing in their individual growth part of creating that ultimate ideal kind of group of people to get the work done? And how much of it's just about finding the right people to begin with? Both. And it depends. I had a, had a great conversation with you know, some some members of my uh, I, I run an executive development program for HR leaders called People Leader Accelerator and we went we went down this great rabbit hole about forks and I like forks I like to use forks but what if you're trying to eat a bowl of soup and and that applies to any sort of program or process that you're thinking about professional development is a great example so. Am I inherently pro-professional development? It depends. It depends what problem you're trying to solve. Depends on the state of your organization and the talent pool that you're trying to recruit and retain. And so does it make more sense to invest in your existing team or to hire outside talent? It depends. Depends on the environment, on your 
profit margins, on your financial stability, on the on how complicated it will be and, and time intensive and resource intensive to skill somebody up to get them to where you need them to be versus bringing in an outside resource or, or hiring somebody new. So, you know, I am, I am often accused of being waffling or uh, infuriating around like, why don't you just give me a straight answer? And bottom line is I'm not trying to sell any product. I'm, you need to use your critical thinking and good business judgment around when should you invest in your team rather than just default to we need to invest, we need to invest more. And you know, where do you stop and how much is enough? You need to think about your situation. Don't fall in love with forks was where was where we ended up that discussion. I love that metaphor of, of loving forks and then trying to eat a bowl of soup with them. That's that's a nice little uh, reminder that even the things that are most familiar, comfortable, you know, effective for us don't always work in every situation. And and it makes sense that professional development is the same way that it, it's so dependent on the person on the skill or the knowledge that they need to grow in, the you know amount of time it takes to learn or develop that thing. Like there's so many factors there that that come into play. So it, it makes sense that it would be one of those answers that's a, it depends. I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction and talk about structure and different kinds of organizational structures and what kinds of structures should managers, senior leaders, founders be thinking about when they're thinking about their the way that information flows, the way that reporting um, relationships flow. And, you know, just kind of like what do you what should you be thinking about when you're thinking about the structure of your team? Yeah. Yeah. One of the concepts that I talk about in scaling for success is is around organizational structure and specifically spans and layers. Not always familiar terminology for everybody. So span would be how many direct reports do you have? If you have eight direct reports, you have a, a span of eight people. If somebody else has a has four direct reports, you're at an average, then you have eight, they have four, you're at an average span of six. Thinking about span of control is important that a lot of organizations miss. I, I've seen some chimney style organizations with one person managing one person managing one person. And the more layers that you have there, you know, so layers is how many managers managing managers, how much distance there is from the top of your organization to the front line. The more layers there are, the tougher it is to communicate things, the harder it is to ensure that people are working on the, the things that are the most important to the company as a whole, the less trust and knowledge and awareness exists as as layers increase. So span, you want to be able to maintain good communication with managers and their direct reports. What's an appropriate span of control? That'll really depend on a number of different factors. One of them is how complex are the roles and how similar are those roles to each other. So if you're a CEO and you have a head of marketing and a head of engineering and a head of HR and et cetera, chances are the CEO will need to have a smaller span of control to help them understand all of those various functions and stay in contact with all of those people versus a, let's say a call center manager that has inside salespeople that are all under one roof, that all do the uh, essentially the exact same job 
and they have very clear KPIs and metrics. So a call center supervisor could manage 20 people, uh, whereas a CEO more realistically should only have four to six. So think about span of control. You want to shoot for the Goldilocks zone, not too many, not too few, and it'll depend on what the roles are that you're managing. And all sorts of measures of complexity could be in there around geographic dispersion, languages, functional specialties, level of expertise, your knowledge as manager of those various functions, all sorts of stuff like that. But be conscious of your span of control and try to minimize at the same time the number of layers. So if you have those chimney style organizations, more layers equals less efficiency, equals less communication and less trust. And so, you know, don't overdo it though, because those companies that pride themselves on being super flat often have giant spans of control where people don't have much contact with their manager and communication doesn't flow. So looking to optimize across spans and layers, it's a really valuable thing as your organization starts to grow. Yeah, I love that. I've never heard that framing before around spans and layers. And it sounds like, you know, as you're thinking about how to grow your team or what the right rules are, that there are times where splitting a layer so that because your span has gotten too big. And so now you're going to have a, a parallel manager manage so you can each manage fewer people. There are times where that happens. And then there are times where you're going to add a layer because the right role to fill in is not to add at the same level that you're now managing that person, but that someone on your team might be managing that person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're a manager with 10 people, do you promote somebody to be the second manager and then you each have you know four or five? Or do you promote yourself and you're now a director and you manage a manager who then has a big team under them? So yeah, those, those are decisions to make that uh, you know, ultimately you need to use good business judgment around when to split a team, when to have a peer relationship, when to hire somebody on top of a group. That's something that's often a big struggle in, in high growth organizations is you really want to lean on the people that helped you get to where you are, the people that were successful as individual contributors or at whatever level they came in at. And often those people expect the sort of career growth that comes with being part of a high growth company. But you also want to be really conscious and cautious about the Peter principle, promoting people into more senior roles, managing bigger teams than they ever have before without giving them the sort of support that they need to be successful. So you know that that's a common issue is when do you layer someone that might've been really successful in the past? Yeah. And I see that all the time with teams of all sizes that there, you might have someone on your team and there's an opening and they, they're vying for that as a promotion, but it's, they're not the right person for it. And it's, it's tricky when they feel like I've been here for a long time, I'm like ready to advance. And you as their manager who's doing the search is like, mm, you're not the right person for this role. I'm going to hire someone outside. Any recommendations or thoughts or things to consider as you're, you're navigating some of those more complex moments with promoting internal candidates for positions or hiring someone over others? Yeah, it, I think you nailed it when you said it's complex. So I, I would suggest that you don't have a default position, that that is an individual decision as you look at the needs of the organization and the skills and capabilities of that person. So your, your default is think about it, be considered. Don't default to promoting the person that's been there for a long time. 
uh, without thinking about it or don't default to just hiring from the outside because you know somebody hasn't done it before. So you know, take a look at it. And generally, a portfolio approach for an organization makes sense. So portfolio meaning a blend of outcomes. So in some cases, you'll hire somebody in from the outside who's been there, done that. In other cases, you'll you'll take a chance on growing someone from the inside. You know, if you go all one way or all the other, your organization can can often run into a a brick wall of challenges there. So if you're always going to the outside, you're going to have more disgruntled people departing. If you're always promoting from within, you may really lack the skill set and awareness of what's possible that you could get from the outside. So that sort of portfolio approach with individual consideration uh, is usually really useful. All right. Well, we are coming to the end of our time. So, you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. So can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? I worked for, boy, this is many years ago, back in Chicago when I was at General Electric. My, my main client was Adam Wiseman, and he headed a big division within uh, GE Capital. And I thought that he was just such a great manager, such a great role model, and that he was consciously trying to lead change, trying to understand, get on board, get himself on board so that he could get the rest of the team on board with whatever the change is, whatever the corporate initiative is, really was intentional about trying to understand the why behind whatever the latest corporate initiative goal project might be. And you know, he and I have had long conversations about you know, why, why something was changing or happening. And I thought that his approach of trying to understand so that he could be a better advocate to his large team below him uh, was just a great example. Lovely. Love that. And where can people learn more about you, Andrew, and get a copy of your book? Yeah. Well, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, like everybody else seems to be as well. My book is called Scaling for Success. I have a book website called scalingforsuccessbook.com. And then my uh, primary website for my consulting business is seriesbconsulting.com. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights today on people strategies and growing your team and structuring. This was, was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. As a guest bonus, Andrew has generously offered a free 25-minute coach salting session, a combo coaching and consulting session to 10 members of the Modern Manager community. That means to get access to one of these calls with Andrew, you must be a member. To join, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And if you work for a government or a nonprofit agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player 
and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.